0: Amen. Hey, everybody. It is good to be with you. Man, it was a great time of worship today, and I'm just excited about our time together. Uh, you, if you have your Bible and you want to get into it, you can open it up to John chapter 4. We're going to be returning to the story between Jesus and this woman at the well. We've been kind of in that story for, what, I don't know if it's week three now, uh, and we're going to be kind of continuing to talk about it. Today, though, I want to talk about the paradox of... Of Jesus. Now I'm sure most of you know what a paradox is, not to be confused with an oxymoron, right? Everybody knows an oxymoron is two opposite words that kind of contradict one another like jumbo shrimp. Shrimps uh, with an S, I like to do that, or pretty ugly. It's a great <laughs> oxymoron. Bittersweet, you know, that's one's pretty classic. My favorite, country music. Um. <clears throat> a paradox, though, takes you a little deeper. I mean it, too, from the bottom of my heart. Um, (laughs) A paradox takes you a little deeper. It's not just two contradicting words. It's two contradicting words that actually create an idea that makes you really think about it. For example, the statement, less is more, right? Less is more is not just this two contradicting words, but there's an idea behind it. Meaning, it typically means something that is less complicated is what? More appreciated. So for those of you who feel like complicated people in this room, you ever felt complicated, misunderstood, you are therefore also less appreciated, right? The more complicated you are, the less appreciated are you all get it. Well, I've been um, enamored by the paradox of Jesus and his life. I mean, you think about Jesus, there's all these sorts of ideas that come alive with him that are actually quite challenging to reconcile. For example, he says, "If you really want to live, you got to die, right?" Or the the first will be last. If you want to be the greatest, you need to serve. He says, "If you want to ascend, you got to descend." There's like all these contradicting, contradicting sort of statements that happen, and we're grown accustomed to them because the world says something completely different, different, doesn't it? To ascend, you climb the ladder. You know, something bad happens. It's an eye for an eye. But what did Jesus say? He said, "Someone hits you, let him hit you again." What? Right? So Jesus continually did this sort of paradoxical sort of kind of approach to life that actually, even though we sort of understand, we sort of don't understand it. And we sort of scratch our head out of it. Years ago, um, there was a concept that came out. Jim Collins, who wrote several leadership books, and I think about him often because they some of the transcendent sort of ideas of the last 20 years, he came up with this principle that said, there is something alive in the world specifically in business, called the tyranny of the or and the genius of the and. Is anybody familiar with this little principle, right? Oh, wow. Okay, I'm about to teach it to you then. So there are either or situations in life. For example, in business. In business, someone may say, is it low cost or high quality that we should value? Which one do we do? Do we, do we go for the low cost or we go for the high quality? Or managers in business, they say, it was my job to serve my employees, or is it to serve the customers? And the tyranny of the or makes businesses, or you can put this in other applications, really struggle with the either or situations. But Jim Collins, he kind of comes along and he says, hey, listen, there's so many things that we're competing with one another that aren't intended to compete with one another, They're actually intended to be uh, compatible together. So for example, it shouldn't just be low cost or high quality, it should be low cost and high quality, right? So this is the genius of the end. And my son Grayson, he believes McDonald's has achieved this. They've achieved low cost and high quality. <laughs> and I assert he's three; he doesn't know. Right? And so, another book I came along not long ago kind of explores this idea even deeper, and talks about that Jesus was strong and weak, which is an interesting sort of concept. Meaning he was not just author- he didn't just have authority. He was also vulnerable. And in this book, they sort of explore several examples of this. And one of the ones they kind of get into a practical thing is this idea of parenting. And that a lot of times in parenting, we sort of have different ways that we label parents, don't we? So, for example, we might see one parent, and we'll go, ah, oh, yeah, they're kind of a strict, they're sort of firm sort of parents, you know, they, they really kind of are disciplinarians and those sorts of things. They're the, they're the kind of parents that, you know, they, they make hard rules, like no sweets after 4 p.m. because we're going to put you to bed at 6.05 p.m. They're really regimented in their schedule, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or are they the ones that you go to the zoo or you go to the theme park, and they have their kid on a leash, you know what I mean, and you're like, why, like, they, they're in a harness, I, 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 if you do that, or you've done that, no judgment, at least not much, and <laughs> then there's the other parents, right, those are the strict, then there's the other parents that are the, that, you know, you say, all oh, the Smith family, they're, they're just so soft on their kids, you know, they spoil them, they, you know, they, they pamper them, you know, those sorts of kids, right, and that's the way the parenting goes, and so they, they have these sort of parents that you know, these are the parents that, when a kid cries for a cookie at 9:30 p.m., they're like, "Oh yes, honey, of course. Here's two cookies and a Dr. Pepper. Now sleep well, right?" <laughs> <laughs> so this is what we do. You can put up this slide here. This is what happens a lot in parenting, is that on one end there's this firm sort of parenting, and the term that has been kind of used is sort of a warm, sort of compassionate. And A lot of times, parent, people make their decisions based upon maybe the way they were up, they were brought up. Maybe they like the way they were brought up, so they modeled what their parents did, or maybe they sort of didn't like it. Their parents are really hard on them and disciplinary. so they thought, you know what, I'm going to be the parent that's really always uh, like the cool parent, right? And I'm going to always just love my kids well, and I'm going to let them kind of learn on their own. And I'm just, and so there's these sorts of approaches that people take in parenting that is sort of. Uh, seems like it's, an, it's kind of a back and forth. It's an either-or sort of situation. Now, there's studies and there's scriptures even that say both of these are not an either-or. It's not like you should be one or the other, that you should actually be both. And so let me show you a, a, another image that kind of more accurately displays it. This is a two-by-two two, uh, grid, is what they call these. And this actually is a more accurate way to where they're not at opposing ends and opposing ends of the spectrum where you slide back and forth. but They actually create something where you're doing both simultaneously. So, firmness, let me show you a couple things. You can go to this next slide. If you're, think about parenting. A parent that's really firm, sets really hard guidelines, make sure their kid says, you know, they know where the ditches are so they make sure their kid never drops in them and so they're creating all these guardrails or putting helms on them and they're doing all the things they need to do to make sure that that kid is perfectly protected but also follows the rules in such a way that they grow up in the way they should. This can lead to, a very, if you look in the upper left there, a very authoritarian store, style of parenting, right? Very firm, not a lot of warmth. But you go down here to the bottom right a parent that's very warm, compassionate, kind—all those sort of things. Meaning, they say, for example, "I just want to love my kids well. That's my main job." Um, you know, I, you know, I, I don't really the rules. I set them, but they're really negotiable. You know what I mean? Depending on the situation, and there's not a lot of firmness. But what you find in that parent, in that parenting style, is a lot of indulgence. The kids become what? Entitled, spoiled, right? And then of course, when both are absent, when there's no firm or warmth, it's absent parenting. And so the parents that don't, aren't exercising either is an absentee parent, right? So this is sort of what's happened, but what happens when both are going on? Well, psychologists call this kind parenting, meaning there's a good balance, and not even a balance isn't the right way, there's a full-on uh, on, ongoing living, Breathing, sort of example of firm and clear expectations for the kid, but also warm and compassionate. Now, this does not surprise any of us. Yet, we do see this struggle between, even as a parent, like, ah, oh, I, I got to put, you know, I got to be the disciplinarian now. That's the hat we put on. Then we take that hat off. I need to be the kind parent now, and we don't understand how do we? What if both were on at the same time? We're going to sort of keep exploring this. Now, this message isn't about parenting although hopefully that was helpful to somebody. Um, it's about the paradox of Jesus. Seven or eight years ago, I, uh, I was in seminary, and I was thinking through this genius of the and sort of thought within Christianity. And I saw a variety of things that seemed to be happening that had limited the gospel because we had made things either or that were never intended to be. There was a lot of ands in the gospel that we had made either or. And so I actually took the genius of the end and wrote papers, actually several things about it, and explored some of the possibilities that exist for today's church when we sort of adopt, if you will, these things that aren't intended to be opposites, but are intended to be ands that go with one another. So for example, think about this. Is the message of the church supposed to be evangelism, or is it supposed to be justice and acts of service? Is it supposed to be, are we supposed to be set apart from the world or engaged in it? See how these are oars. Are we supposed to be, and this may be too churchy of a term, but attractional or missional? Are we supposed to be that church that throws, you know, the, the big after parties? Are we supposed to be the church? <laughs> are we supposed to be the church that's, you know, engaged in the needs right outside our door? Are we supposed to be people of faith or people of works? What, is Jesus, or what, is, what does James say? It says faith by itself? If it's not accompanied by works, it's, it's dead. Let me show you. Well, I don't, I don't think I actually actually have this on the slide. I'll just read it to you. Just from John 1.17. It says this, For the law was given through Moses, but then it says this, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So grace and truth is this other paradox that we find in the world. We find in our faith that we often treat them as either ors. Let me let me show you, there you see it. Let me show you this sort of spectrum that happens. And we find in our faith often sliding between grace and truth. And you're like, what, is, what, what do you mean by this? Um, I mean... You've seen the people out there that are the truth police, right? You know what I'm talking about? The people that are always guarding the truth and then saying, this is what the truth says and so you need to adhere to it. And there's a, there's, it's almost like they're yelling at you. Do you know who I'm talking about? They're really loud on social media, if anybody's heard them before. They have like this social media bullhorn they're always speaking into about the truth. And you put this in, 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 the, in the Christian world, they're, they're, they're pointing out all the things that are not or that are against the truth in the world and they're proclaiming the truth. And there's some merit in it, and we're like, you know, it is true, but it just doesn't feel right. You know what I'm talking about? And then there's the people that are, they lean on the grace, right? And they're like, you know what? If I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of grace. You ever heard that? Really? Okay. Let's think about that. Let's err on the side of grace. In which we sort of get confronted with cultural beliefs. And there's all these sorts of beliefs that culture around us wants to tell us is truth, and we sort of mix those things with maybe what we believe the Scripture says, and then it becomes this real sort of mushy, sort of confusing mess where we're not really quite sure why we believe this, but the culture sort of seems... It's it's telling us to believe it, and we want to be graceful, and so we're embracing it, right? And so there's this people that say, well, you know what? I'm going to be graceful because I believe in Christianity there's a lot of liberty, there's a lot of freedom, and so grace is really what Jesus is about. So we have this paradox. We have this situation in which we've seen one spectrum down here of grace and one spectrum down here of truth, and for some reason they seem to fight against one another. And for, and for some reason we seem to have to step one way or the other, and we act like they actually are opposing one another. And if this doesn't feel relevant to you, think about every major issue the world is facing, well, America is facing in terms of morality, in terms of debate, in terms of argument. They are arguments about grace and truth. Are they not? They are arguments about what is true and how much grace should I show people that don't have the same truth as I do. And we struggle to know how to operate in grace and truth. Which brings us to this next little figure, which you saw coming. So maybe, perhaps, truth and grace aren't opposing but there's something that they are complementary and supposed to do together. Well, Jesus embodied the genius of the end with grace and, grace and truth, and he did so with a lot of grace and truth. Well, so this is going to go back to our story in John 4. We'll come back to that little grid in a minute. So we've been looking at this interaction between Jesus and this woman at the well, and, uh, and I believe this is a beautiful example Of grace and truth, and we learn that Jesus intentionally went to Samaria. He goes to Samaria. He meets this woman at a well. She's there. She's coming there at at an unusual time of day, and he's actually there waiting. He's waiting on her. She's not a woman that he's supposed to be waiting to meet, but he is. And we learned last week. If you were with us, if you weren't, I'll tell you really quick. What we learned last week is whenever he engaged her in a conversation, she immediately wanted to essentially disagree with him and argue him, argue with him about a few different things. She argued with him about gender about race and about religion. And she's like, you shouldn't be talking to me, but if you are, we should at least be arguing about these things. And Jesus was like, these man-made, human-made barriers that you have, woman, are not barriers that I have. I'm not thinking about the differences we have in in gender and race and religion. I'm thinking about you as an individual, and I'm thinking about who you are and what you need. And this is how the interaction begins. So we're going to go to verse 7, and we have read this scripture before, but we keep finding more in it, so we're going to read it again. And then, we haven't even finished the story yet, by the way. We've been in this three weeks, and we haven't got through the whole text yet of the story, so we still got more to go. But, I'm backing up to the same scripture we read last week, because there's a whole other thing to learn here. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? Again, Jesus is waiting on her. He engages her, cares about her. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? So this is where the race and gender are like, what are you doing asking me for a drink? We're not supposed to be talking. Things that Jesus clearly didn't care about. Verse 10, Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink. And I would give you fresh, living water. So we already see this word generosity and there's an openness, right, to give her what he had. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with and the well is deep, so, so how are you going to get this living water? You see how the scripture puts that in quotes? I imagine her actually doing that with air quotes. Living water. <laughs> we see this word generosity, or, excuse, or maybe I backed up here. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it? He and his sons and livestock, and and passed it down to us, so she knows her history, where it came from. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give them will be, as I said last week, my favorite word, artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I don't ever get thirsty. I won't ever have to come back to this well again. So this is warm parenting, isn't it? <laughs> this is what's going on here. Jesus is like, everything I have is yours. Like, I'm going to give you all you want. Like, just take what I have, the generosity of God. I'm going to give it to you. I'll give you this living water. This artesian spring is going to well up within you. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and she's like, yes, I want this. This is grace, isn't it? This is grace. So he meets her in, with grace, and then what does he say right after that? Verse 16, he said, hey, go call your husband, and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. He spoke the truth there, sure enough. So Jesus doesn't avoid the truth, does he? In fact, in this instance, he addresses a pretty harsh part of the truth, her sin. The fact that she's living with a man who's not her husband. And he points it out and he says, You're obviously living with someone who's not your husband. And he began showing her, again, grace and truth, and he's and, and he's probably, she's probably never experienced grace like this before. A Jewish man shows up, she's never encountered one. If she has, it's probably been a very distasteful sort of experience, and here he is warmly, gracefully caring about her, showing concern for her. And he doesn't shy away from some hard truth, though, that she needed to hear. And Jesus does this over and over again. If you know the story in John 8, John 8 is the story where there's a woman who's caught, caught in adultery. The scriptures actually say she was caught in the act. That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? Caught in the act of adultery. Sheesh. Right? I, maybe I thought that was descriptive. You guys are like, eh, ah, no big deal. <laughs> Caught in the act. And here's Jesus. What does he do? She, they bring her out, and they say, what do we do with this woman? The scriptures say we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus gets down, and he starts drawing in the sand, and he's like, mm-hmm, And then he says, hey, you who is without sin, let you go ahead and throw the first stone. And this brilliant act of grace, what happens? All the people leave, because they all have sin, and they say, well, you know, I'm... And they all have sinned. And then he looks at the woman and says, has anyone condemned you? She says, no, no one. He said, neither do I condemn you then. Grace people love to stop the story there. What's the next line? Leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. He doesn't stop at grace. He has grace and truth right there beside each other. And he says, go and leave your life of sin. And Jesus does this over and over again. And, you know, as Caleb even led us in that time during worship, talked about our struggle, right? And and a lot of us have struggles that are beyond the boundaries of sin. They're just struggles in life. But sin is one of the great struggles for people. And we all struggle with sin. And, And Jesus doesn't, he doesn't avoid it. So many of us avoid the subject of sin. It's like this thing that's an awkward discussion. We're not going to talk to somebody else about their sin, and we're going to deal with our sin on our own, right? Like, but we never really do. Sin works its way into our life like a weed, that's what the Scripture says. It chokes the life out of us. And every one of us have not only struggled, I would, I would go ahead and say that a lot of us, if not most of us, maybe even all of us, are struggling with sin right now in our life. And what I love about the grace of Jesus is he comes to us and embraces us as we are, sin and all. He says, I don't condemn you, but I'm not going to keep telling you to go and leave your life of sin. Leave it behind. The more you die to your old self, the more life you're going to live. So maybe the truth today for you is looking in the mirror at your own sin in your life and getting real with it. Because here's what happens when we have, we have two different approaches, I think, for a lot of us when it comes to this grace and truth of our own sin. Some of us, with truth, we, we continually beat the fact over, or beat ourselves over the head that we are, are sinning, and therefore we get very shame, shameful, and we have very, uh, very heavy levels of guilt in our life. It beats us up. While others of us, we make peace with the sin. We're like, you know what? It's not a big deal to them, air quotes, right? Whoever they are, it's not a big deal to them. So, so we make peace with the sin and we, go, we justify it. And we justify the sin and we live with the sin and we say it's okay. I can, I, this is, I can control this. It's not a huge deal. Grace of Jesus, thank goodness. And we let the sin sort of just be there. So we're either living under shame and guilt because the truth just keeps hitting us in the face or we live in this place of making peace with things that we shouldn't be making peace with. Jesus said so many times, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. And I love those words in that song today. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And I still feel in my life like there's bondage to sin. That I need the power of the Spirit and the power of Jesus to break in my life. Is anybody with me on that? I I want that, and 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 I know that I can't beat it on my own. Sin has gripped so many of our lives. And I want you to know that it's the grace and the truth of Jesus. That's where the power is received. It's not received in just the truth. So when someone looks at your sin and rebukes you and doesn't offer grace, there's no power in that. Someone says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. Don't worry about it. It doesn't say, you know what? Your sin's ruining your life and it's ruining the lives around you. It's robbing you. It's actually contributing to the enemy's plan. Somebody doesn't say that to you and they just say, you know, it's it's okay. We all struggle. Well, that's not, there's no power in that either. The sin is not the only type of truth that Jesus addressed with this woman. I'm going to continue in this story. Verse 23, but the time is coming and he's actually about to introduce her to the truth about the world, <laughs> which I think is awesome. But the time is coming, in fact it has come, when you when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. So he's addressing an issue she had and he's saying, hey, what race you are, what nation you're from. Doesn't matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. Huh. Keep coming back to those themes. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before God in their worship. God is sheer being it's, itself. He is spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, and adoration. And then get this. So the woman says, after he basically explains, this is the reality of the world. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what nation you're from anymore. It's not just about Jew and Samaritan. It's like all people, the grace and the gospel of Jesus is for everyone. And then she says, I don't know about that. Anybody ever done that to you? You're like, oh my gosh, I got to tell you about the good news of Jesus. And they're like, eh, I don't know about that. She says, I don't know about that. And then it's interesting though. She says, I do know that the Messiah is coming. And when he, which is so awesome, like this is a paradox, right? I know the Messiah is coming and he's right there. I don't know if it's a paradox, but it's certainly a great twist, right? I know the Messiah is coming and when he arrives, then we'll get the whole story. Then we'll get the truth. So she's confused about what is true and he says this. He says, I am he, said Jesus. There's that I am language, isn't there? You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. I'm the truth. So beyond the truth about yourself and your own sin, here's the truth about the world. Here's the truth about who I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Lord. I am the Son of God. By the way, paradox, Son of Man, Son of God, right? There's all these sorts of things. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God did what? He exalted him to the highest place and put him in the name that is above every name. He died the lowest criminal's death, yet God had raised him to the highest place. Paradox. So back to this two-by-two figure. Grace and truth. Jesus was actually 100% grace and 100% truth at the same time. He wasn't this sliding scale of grace one day, truth the next. It was grace and truth in every moment. And this sounds impossible, but this is the way of the kingdom. Jesus comes and he talks about the kingdom of God often. This is what he's talking about actually most of the time in his ministry. He's talking about the kingdom that he is bringing. And the kingdom of God is actually operates under a different set of rules that is essentially a paradox. This woman, you know, he's talking about wells and he's talking about this living water, Right? He's talking about this water, and she says, oh yeah, 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 well, this well here, she's talking about Jacob's well, she's talking about the natural well, and Jesus is not talking about the natural well, he's talking about the spiritual well, because he's like, listen, listen, the kingdom of God operates under a different set of rules. The kingdom, the kingdom says the more you die, the more you live. The kingdom says the more you serve, the greater you'll The greater you be. So let's look at what happens in this figure. Let's say you grew up in a family. You grow up in a family and... Truth is really emphasized. And you are told a lot about the morality of God, right? And you are told what is right and wrong, and you continually live into that, and that is really how your faith is lived. It's one about managing sin. It's one about doing the right thing. What does it breed? A life of truth without grace breeds what? Legalism, religion, an authoritarian sort of understanding of God. Now let's go over here to the other corner here let's say you have one of grace without much truth using the same word from our parenting grid it's a life of indulgence isn't it often where you lack the truth so therefore selfishness really rises up because it's really about you and often in this sort of lifestyle you're going to have a lot of unrepentant sin because you just continue to say grace of jesus good thank goodness now what about a life that uh, both of them are absent This is a life that leads to idolatry, meaning you don't have a source of truth coming from the truth, the Messiah. You have a source of truth that you're looking for and you start putting your truth into other things. You start believing other things and idols start to form and you start to put your love into other things. Is this engaging your mind? Because here's the deal. What what I really thought about in this message was I think this is one of those things that we have to think about before we can actually feel it. A lot of messages are about you feel it and then later you think about it. We're thinking before we feel a little bit today. So a life absent of truth and grace is a life absent of God. Capital G. You have all sorts of a little g gods. Now what happens when truth and grace are present? You live the kingdom. You bring this kingdom sort the kingdom of God that he talks so much about this is what actually happens and you start to experience the living water and you start to experience the true gospel so Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God to earth he was upending if you will the distorted ways of the world the ones that pitted things against one another and I love the language the tyranny of the ore right He was actually showing us how to live, even in the way he interacted with someone. He was showing us how to live and how to interact. So, here's what I know. You fit on here. You actually could put a star that represents you, and the way you live your faith, right? I said this earlier, but I do feel like so many of the controversies in this world, especially in our country, public debates and arguments are about measures of how much truth we show and lean into and how much Grace we give. And here's Jesus giving 100% grace and truth at the same time. And that's the way of the kingdom, and it's actually not very complicated, but it's actually completely different than the ways of the world. That's why it's paradoxical. (laughs) That's why it's actually pretty challenging. But this is actually possible. The kingdom can be where? Within us like an artesian spring, gushing fountains of water. So, now we feel it, okay? Let's go these next questions up. Have you been living, we're, we're about done, but you have, have you been living a life of faith that lacks grace and has created legalism in your life? And you're like, what is legalism? A life in which it's all about the rules to you and it's not about the person of Christ in your life. Down here in the bottom right. Has your life lacked truth and created indulgence, compromised beliefs, or unrepentant sin? And then of course over there in the bottom left. Has your life lacked both truth and grace and as a result God is just absent? And of course up in the top right we know that Jesus showed us how to engage with truth and grace. I sure hope that some of us can sort of say we're living the kingdom a little bit. But what I find is that the world has actually put us in the tyranny of the order. And most of us think that there's actually a false choice. And that false choice runs diagonal. And we find ourselves sliding back and forth between a life rooted in religion and legalism and rules and a life that is just overwhelmed by compromised beliefs and unrepentant sin. And we're not realized that, realizing that, no, these, these things can actually be lived together. This is complicated. It's paradoxical. It makes you think. But I so badly want to live a life in which I can say, when I engage the, not only other people, but when I approach my own life, that I am receiving the grace and the truth of Jesus. That I can look at my sin with the truth of it. And I can receive his grace, but I can be exposed to the truth of it. And so many of us, we struggle there. So today, if you had to put yourself somewhere on this two-by-two grid, where do you find yourself? And again, this is a bit of truth and grace for you, right? You just bow your heads Holy Spirit I just want to pray that even in these final moments that your power could break through the forms of bondage in our life and barriers that the enemy Places before us. There's so many man made, enemy made barriers that aren't barriers that you want before us. Would you break those things down? And Lord, so many of us right now are gripped with false narratives and false stories and false truths. And Lord, we need to return, if you will, or discover the truth that's found within your Son Jesus within Your Spirit and Your presence in this world, within the Word that You've given us. or we need to break the bondage of sin in our life. And so, Lord, I pray right now for each and every person to just have a moment of honest reflection. I'm not asking You to raise Your hand or anything, but I am asking You to respond in Your heart if today you find yourself and you're really resonating with this idea that you've had a lot of truth and a little grace in your life and you struggle with that, would you just sort of acknowledge that right now in your own heart? And you just say, yeah, that's where I'm, that's where I'm at. And if you're a person that says, you know, I've had a lot of grace and maybe probably have ignored the truth and I've not been willing to really face it, I've avoided it, I've told myself that I've, I'm smart enough and I've got it figured out, but I've, if I'm being really truthful in, the, in my heart of hearts, I've made up my own truth or I've allowed other people to tell me the truth and I have not leaned on the truth of God because sometimes the truth is hard. Sometimes the truth is something that I don't even like to hear. So I rest in grace. If you've avoided the truth and you've rested too much in grace, would you just acknowledge that in your own heart right now? and say, that's where I'm at. And then finally, if you're a person that says, you know what, I'm being honest, I've probably lacked large measures of both, and God does feel absent. You may even say, you know, I've had God in my life, but right now it's like he's so far away, I don't even know where he is. That's where you're at right now. Would you just acknowledge that in your own heart? I'm hopeful today is, is, a, is an opportunity to look in the mirror at ourselves with a, with a bit of truth, but that we would also understand that we have this Jesus, this figure, this person in this story who always went out of his way to meet with the people that he wanted to engage with and he would engage with them in such a way that took and broke down every barrier and was one in which he says, I wish you knew the generosity of God and I wish you knew that I will give you what I have. I want to give you living water. I want to give you the kingdom. That's the grace of Jesus. As we look in the mirror of truth, staring right back at us. So as we sing this morning, in just a moment, and keep your heads bowed, I'll pray in just a second, but as we sing this morning, I would encourage you, if there's there's something that you need to break free from, that you've been thinking about since worship, if there's a sin in your life, if there's a... It doesn't even have to be sin, it can be anything, a struggle in your life or if even these these words of truth and grace are just hitting you hard today, I would would encourage you to come forward and to say a prayer at this altar. Say a prayer with the prayer team person and let this time truly be a time of responding to what the Lord is saying. Lord, we pray now that, Lord, this freedom would reign in this place and that, Lord, we would experience and receive your grace and truth in these next few moments. Lord, thank you for the gift that you show us about the ways of the kingdom. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.